I'm Farah Duro, and you're listening to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Well, hello, lovelies. I hope you're having an amazing week. And I just wanted to share with you a special episode today from an interview about PCOS I recently did with fertility health coach Sarah Clark on the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast. And I think that you'll find it really interesting. We go over the five types of PCOS and dig into what strategies I've used both personally and with my own patients in overcoming PCOS naturally. So if you'd like more information on Sarah's podcast, you can go to fabfertile.com and check out some of her free bonuses. And also you can find her show on Apple Podcasts. Take it away, Sarah. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, what I find most people, you know, have their own story as to how they, they came to work in this field. So maybe, yeah, just share share your story with us. Sure. Um, I actually, you know, was about 17 years old when I decided that I wanted to do a different path. I wanted to go into medicine, but I wasn't sure uh, exactly what type. And I, I always embraced herbal medicine from an early age. So I ended up after two years of pre-med, I did a research paper on acupuncture and it just really blew my mind how effective it was for the topic I was researching. And I just decided to, that that was my calling. So I went to school at a really early age at 19 and hmm. became an acupuncturist at 23. And, um, and I actually reversed a lot of my PCOS symptoms while in school. And uh, I, I just really struggled a lot with hormonal imbalances and not really knowing where to turn. Um, I couldn't take birth control. My body just totally rejected it. So I went through so many doctors and I decided, let me just give acupuncture a try. I was in school and I wanted, I'd never had a treatment, actually. <laughs> so uh, I, I got treated on a regular basis. Um, I went to China and met a Chinese herbalist at the hospital we were working in. And he pretty much prescribed me an herbal formula and said, you're probably going to need this for about five years. And honestly, five years to the day, I actually got pregnant with my daughter after taking oh, wow. that formula. So I really think that there's such a powerful, natural approach out there that so many women still don't know about. So definitely, I feel like I'm a good sounding board because it, it's just, it's so effective and gentle. Absolutely. And what, can I ask what type of PCOS you all right. So my father has diabetes type two. Um, and I, from an early age, had really, really irregular cycles. So for mine, I, I controlled the insulin resistance somewhat. I, were, I was hypoglycemic on a vegan diet uh, mm -hmm. from an early age, and that just wasn't working for me. So, you know, with my type, it's more adrenal type PCOS. Um, and, you know, a little bit of uh, elevated testosterone if I don't take care of my diet and my stress level and, and exercise. So it wasn't, I never got the obese type of uh, PCOS, but, but definitely the lifestyle factors came into play for me when, you know, my, my cycle really only got better with real, a lot of diligence, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of diet lifestyle and, and, and takes time to kind of get these things uh, regulated. But also, I guess if you're taking a targeted approach, it can, it can happen quickly. You know, so one out of every 10 women struggle with PCOS and it's one of the most common causes of infertility. I think I've heard as much as 60%. Have you, what's, what's, you, what's your... Right, I think um, it's definitely underdiagnosed. We see it every day on our clinic and we're seeing it in women or girls that are actually just younger and younger. Women are reaching puberty earlier as a whole and young girls are coming in being put on birth control at age 10, you know, and I think yeah. that that is pretty alarming when you consider that that particular girl could probably 
continue on birth control for 20 25 years, really. It's a long time to to be exposed to hormones. So what we think of is that this can affect fertility later on. If you kind of blanket everything in the protective realm of birth control and just kind of, you know, sweep everything under the rug and not know really anything about how your body is responding to your own hormones. When you later come off birth control wanting to get pregnant, let's say, you know, whatever age you are in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, it's a shock sometimes. It's like, well, why is it? Why isn't my body working? You know, so I think that that's what we see is that some women are never told they had PCOS. They are just given birth control to regulate their cycles or or help with their acne or PMS. And um, once they come off, it's a shock because this was supposed to be an easy thing, and it's not. So I think that the long term use of birth control. I mean, I don't think it's beneficial uh, for women that don't really know or understand what their pattern is and um, and how and how to address it. Uh, so that's uh, one of the things that, that we see that we hope to see changing, you know, and as women become more educated about their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. We, we see because helping people with infertility, the number of women that come to us that have been on long-term birth control is like 10, 15, as you said, 20 years on it. And I was on it as well. And, and then it's, you know, it's impacting your nutrient levels as well as your gut health. And then does that, you know, set you up for gut infections and those sorts of things? It just, you know, some people obviously can be on the pill and get pregnant right away, but that mm-hmm. I, I, I work with is probably the same with you. If it's long-term birth control uh, use, they've, they're, they're, you know, they're struggling. Right. And, you know, a lot of times we see that someone who's already estrogen dominant is given birth Mm -hmm. control and it just sends them over the edge as far as uh, emotionally. And, you know, we've had some patients that were suicidal. So that, you know, we have to look at is it's not, and they already have proven that if you have PCOS and, and you are suffering from depression, you don't need antidepressants. You need to address your hormones. Right. Antidepressants aren't the first line of therapy for PCOS. So uh, they shouldn't be. So it's, it requires further investigation. So, you know, in that respect, when we see the seriousness of this, that's often glossed over, it's not just the fact that you have abnormal hair growth, you have, you know, weight gain and you can't get pregnant. It's an underlying hormonal imbalance that's actually contributing to the depression and the anxiety as well that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And slapping, giving someone an antidepressant is really a band-aid. And it makes you gain more weight <laughs> a lot of times. So, yeah. so let's, let's dig into exactly what is PCOS. So it's kind of a misnomer. They uh, thought about changing the name because yeah. a lot of times, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome doesn't quite fit in with uh, the picture. Some women, you can't even see cysts on the ovaries, but they have, it's a syndrome. So it basically can vary from person to person, which is why it's so hard to diagnose sometimes. So they do have a new criteria. Well, it's not exactly new, but a few years old where it's called the Rotterdam criteria where you do have to have at least two out of three symptoms that can, you know, hallmark PCOS. And so it could be uh, high androgen levels is one of them. Um, high insulin levels could be another. And also ovarian cysts or, you know, fol- uh, multi-follicular um, look, look to the ovary, which um, they call polycystic. So 
you know, and also that the cycles being um, abnormally long or uh, absent as well. Amenorrhea is one of the hallmarks. So, um, so typically those things um, we look at, you know, when someone walks in and says, well, I feel like, you know, I haven't had my period in six months. And um, we, a lot of times will ask, you know, have they seen their gynecologist and have they had any recent blood work done? And, you know, we also know that there's risk factors to not having your period for so long. So part of our job in Chinese medicine is to work at our clinic as a as an integrative approach and just really look at the big picture. Uh, we use some functional medicine testing. Um, we use tongue pulse, traditional Chinese medicine diagnostics, as well as um, palpation and just really like finding out um, if there's a lot of congestion going on in that in the lower abdomen. That's definitely one of the, the things that we look for if someone hasn't had their period and their lining could be extremely thick. They could have cramping there, but they're just not getting their cycle. So, um, so part of our job to help with that cycle regulation as well. Okay. Yeah. And then you, you, you've just actually talked about this on your podcast, the uh, PCOS revolution. I'm not sure what episode it was. It was your most recent one as, as we're recording about the different types of PCOS. Cause many people will come to me and they say they have PCOS and then they're not even sure if it's, they haven't even been told if it's insulin resistant or non-insulin insulin resistant. And there's a number of different types. And so you, you go on to super detail there on your podcast, but can you kind of just kind of highlight those? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the one that most people are familiar with is a classic presentation, which would be the type one where there's someone who, you know, who's saying, okay, well, I haven't ovulated or haven't had my period in a while. I have got a lot of acne um, or, you know, you also see uh, some dark folds from insulin resistance around the skin, uh, armpits, neck. Uh, so that's a, ta- a classic. The other type is just basically where, you know, they have all the symptoms, but there's no insulin resistance present. So it's just like increased um, androgen levels, testosterone, and then um, issues with ovulation. Sometimes it doesn't mean that they're not ovulating at all. It just means it could be that their cycles are a little longer than usual. That's typically what we see. Uh, like even 36, 38 days, you know, um, that could be a little bit of a, uh, a sign there. And then, you know, those, so those are like the, the most well-known type one, type two. And then you have the non-traditional types. These are the harder ones to detect. I think that you have, you know, normal testosterone and there is some ovulatory issues there. And there's also some uh, insulin resistance and obesity. So kind of like a syndrome X, they used to call it, or metabolic syndrome with ovulation issues, but then testosterone is normal. And then the, the not to be more confusing, but there's like a non-traditional type 2 PCOS, another uh, pattern where you know, you just have all you have, everything looks fine. Actually, the person is usually pretty thin, but you notice that there is a little bit of increased acne um, and they are having regular cycles, but they do have some uh, mild insulin resistance. And usually what we see is that the glucose is slightly elevated and there is uh, a little bit of um, of uh, some blood work showing up of insulin resistance on the recent blood work. Uh, If they even test for insulin, sometimes we just see glucose done and we said, well, it would be good to get your insulin checked too. And sometimes we also, we actually always ask if there's a history of diabetes in the family, because like, like in my case, that's definitely Mm -hmm. one of the hallmarks. And then the other, the last type is basically just someone who has, you know, idiopathic hertuzism. So basically it's, it's just increased testosterone on the blood work. That's all you see. 
and there's no insulin resistance and the uh, patterns for ovulation are normal. So it's like, what's going on? Why is that testosterone elevated? And sometimes that's kind of an you know, early indicator, like, well, if we address this now, it actually could, you know, be preventative in the future. So that's the confusing five types of PCOS. <laughs> okay, yeah. And so, and those dark folds, can you talk a little bit about that? That you said dark folds, like insulin resistant, you said around the arms. What? You- yeah. You know, over, it's been like 17 years now of treating this. And I think that now we just, I think when you work with PCOS, anyone who works with it long enough, they can just spot it. Like I'll be in the mall and I can spot it. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so now just visual because we look for, and that, that's a different, that's the, the obvious type. But, you know, if you see, if you're noticing that you have in your skin folds in the neck, some of the skin is a little darker than it should be. That's a sign of insulin resistance. So, um, you know, that that could even be related to early diabetes. So uh, definitely, and we see it also with the armpits too. So we've seen also in that area where you look at um, the neck or the chin, you see hair growth there. You know, that that's also a sign. So sometimes we see those uh, together, you know, and um, so that's one thing that um, they can kind of clue you in as well. And some people just say, well, acne is a part of just going through teenage years and, you know, hormonal changes and that sort of thing. But if you think about it, that were true. Not everybody gets acne when they're teenagers. And we're not talking about just one pimple or two. This is pretty severe acne. Uh, usually, so yeah. So I think um, I think I think for PCOS, so the main ones people talk about are the acne and the hair, and typically the weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and I mean, if if you do have extra weight, that, that um, called adipose tissue, it's going to be mm-hmm. also producing hormones. So you've got more estrogen coming out. Uh, from that. So it's just, um, that's why one of the things I say, oh, just lose like 5% of your body weight and it's going to make a huge difference. It can definitely, we've seen that where all of a sudden, you know, ovulation comes back and, you know, the uh, it's, the things start to kind of change for the better once somebody starts to uh, lose weight, but it's extremely difficult to know where to start sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we'll dig into weight a little bit, a little bit later, but yeah, definitely the, you know, if we could all lose the 5 to 10%, then, you know, Easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about thyroid issues and PCOS, which I think are sometimes missed? Right. I mean, you know, recently I was just reading about this and what's going on a lot of times is inflammation in the body too. And I mean, there's always inflammation with PCOS typically, but we always ask to see a full thyroid panel with our mm-hmm. patients because sometimes just looking at TSH, I mean, it's just sometimes it looks completely normal, but what happens uh, when you look at T3 and T4 that you could see those have been bottomed out. So there is a struggle going on there and, you know, it just... It's just uh, important to address that. Um, a lot of times we look at um, what's going on with the adrenals as well. And if there is something going on with the thyroid, um, it's a cascade. Uh, and so if we can address this at an early stage, we don't have to work. I mean, and, and also when you look at, at why someone is gaining weight and they have hypothyroidism and there is PCOS going on, that's just a double whammy. It's like everything's kind of conspiring against you mm. <laughs> to to lose weight and also to have and to get your energy back. So that's something that we see quite often as well. Yeah, And a lot of times, yeah, Hashimoto's and PCOS kind of go hand in hand. 
Right. And if you don't check for antithyroid antibodies, you just don't know about Hashimoto's. That's very, it's kind of hidden. So, so just an example, I mean, yeah, just looking at one of our patients who walked in with, you know, she said, well, here's my TSH. And, you know, it was pretty, it was 1.5. It was good. And so we said, well, let's, let's see what, what else did you have done? And um, there really wasn't anything else except for, um, you know, her, just metabolic panel, like regular blood work. So, uh, but she was still experiencing a lot of fatigue, um, could not lose a pound of weight and her hair was falling out. So, well, obviously, let's see, let's see if, if we can go a little deeper into this. And what we found was that when we did a full thyroid panel, her antithyroid antibodies, they were, he, uh, a thousand, so mm-hmm. <laughs> very elevated, and um, you know her family history uh, included Hashimoto. So okay. um, unless we look deeper, sometimes we just don't, we can't see it. And um, so that person definitely, I mean, she needed, she actually uh, was put on Synthroid, so on um, a thyroid medication. Um, and sometimes that can help. And sometimes we need to work a little bit more with the diet as well to work at, you know, can we can we introduce some anti-inflammatory foods, perhaps gluten free. So. Yeah, I was just interviewing someone yesterday actually about um, magnesium. So adding that into... I love magnesium. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Dr. Carolyn Dean, I just interviewed her yesterday. So her episode will be coming on. Not sure where in the, the lineup compared to when this is going. But yeah, so she, we, we really dig into that about, about um, the impact of, because so many, like 80% of us are, are magnesium deficient. Magnesium glyconate, we definitely mm-hmm. recommend that for most of our patients. And I find that it does do, it helps with sleep, uh, helps with mood. And I mean, definitely a lot of uh, women are, are deficient in it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as the, the impact with vitamin D and PCOS, what are you seeing there? You know, vitamin D is, is tricky because, you know, a lot of times we look at the blood work and we're like, oh, well, there's no vitamin D checked here. But well, it's very hard to get insurance even to cover vitamin D nowadays mm-hmm. in lab work. So it's kind of like you have to kind of go out outside lab and that sort of thing. Um, and we just look at, some, like, we actually had a patient who her vitamin D was 10 the mm-hmm. other day. Yeah. That's dangerous. That can set you up for all kinds of issues with so high risk of cancer and all kinds of things. So, you know, I don't know if there's ever been any studies about PCOS and vitamin D deficiency, but it's not just PCOS. I think it's a it's, it's pretty much an epidemic. Even in I'm in the Sunshine State, it's pretty crazy. Right, but. Florida, <laughs> but, but you know, routinely we have to give we have to give vitamin D. So so if uh, you go in for your annual checkup and you notice it's not included uh, in your blood work, there's a reason for that. A lot of the labs are not accepting um, that vitamin D on your panel anymore because there, it has to be certain criteria that you have to meet uh, in order to get that covered. So um, it's something you might have to actually independently test through an independent lab. But um, it's, it's definitely a good, a good thing to check for sure. Yeah, and then because it's a hormone to then work with a practitioner to, to, to build that up over a number of months. What's your, like if someone, because yeah, we have that as well, where people come in with, yeah, five or 10, and then so the immune system was really down. Like what do you, what was your suggestion there, I guess, when someone had the low vitamin D? Right, I mean, yeah, so usually in order to, help with that. Sometimes they're, they, they actually are going to a fertility clinic and they are testing the vitamin D, the ones that we work with, and they are giving them about 50,000 IUs weekly, you know, and uh, a vitamin D to, to help with that. Because even in IVF, you're not, it's not 
optimal to go into a cycle with low vitamin D. And in fact, they had a research study a couple of years ago where they weren't allowing women to participate in the IVF research study if their vitamin D levels were below 50. So it's really important uh, to, to address it. But in our case, um, if you look at vitamin D council's recommendations, they, they do recommend uh, a certain level of four to 5,000 IUs um, of vitamin D if you're pregnant and breastfeeding. So and the baby needs vitamin D as well. So it's just kind of like that thing. Well, what's good for pregnancy can be good for fertility too. Sometimes just giving vitamin D, we've seen people's cycles self-regulate that we're having irregular cycles. So we, that's kind of like, you know, our, our go-to. We have our little uh, recommendations where everybody should take omega-3, you know, and um, mostly everybody needs vitamin D. So, you know, we always check it, but definitely it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the adrenals. You mentioned them a little bit before and how, what, you know, how are they, are they are impacted when someone has PCOS? Well, recently we've been using, um, I'm sure, and you use this test too, the Dutch test, which, mm-hmm. um, so just um, looking at the cortisol in your dried urine is a little different um, than doing a blood cortisol. And a lot of times people do blood cortisol, it's just one, one test, and it doesn't, it's hard to extrapolate on that because it could be that that test was done any time of the day, and it was also done with blood. So it's really hard to test that throughout the day in blood unless you stay at the lab all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the urine is pretty convenient, I find. And um, you can definitely see patterns. So um, measuring, I think measuring cortisol is important if you are trying to get pregnant or you have PCOS, um, because it could be that the, re- the reason why your cortisol is bottomed out uh, or it's elevated abnormally throughout the day is that something's triggering you. And it could be that underlying stress that you just live with from day to day. I just find that so many so many women are just so used to stress. It's like <laughs> it's just like a you know just burned out and um and just living with it every day and not realizing how much that stress is affecting them. So looking at the cortisol can be an eye opener and saying, wow, yeah, that, that is true. I mean, I I do need to get this under control. And uh, and sometimes just a visual reminder is is really helpful. So uh, with adrenal fatigue, we look at I mean it's necessarily it's kind of now they're calling it, you know, HPA axis That's dysregulation. Right. Yeah. So a little different, but um, but we need all of these things to work together like a symphony, you know, between the communication between our brain and our ovaries and our uterus. So um, and then we, we look at it like uh, it, it is a delicate balance. So the first thing we start with is sleep. Mm. And, you know, we talked about this, I think, in our podcast, when you're on my mm. podcast, yeah. but just, and you were at, uh, you, you had some great suggestions, I think, and um, but just, you know, the self-care and turning everything off at 10 o'clock. And we ask sometimes about sleep, uh, average answer is six hours, five or six hours a night. I don't find that that is enough for most people. So we have definitely to get that under control first because every everything seems to fall into place. You can cope better with stress and problems in your life when you're rested. Yeah, getting that seven, seven to nine hours of sleep a day. And it's almost sometimes when I'm working with people, I have to back their whole entire day up to make sure that they're getting home from work you know, on time and then they're able to have their make their dinner and then have the rest time. And then because sometimes we're staying up later because we don't have any of that free time. And next thing you know, it's 1130 and we're watching mindless television and then we got to get up at, you know, six. <laughs> so the whole, right. the whole cycle discontinues. So yeah. And then with the cortisol, it's sort of like looking at that. So the mental emotional stress, 
So obviously here, everywhere speaking with our, our listeners or people that are, that are struggling to get pregnant. Um, so the stress of that alone, plus, you know, that the stress of the Western, the Western lifestyle, and then also the structural stress. So you could have something out of alignment. And then I think we're, we're, we're going to get into the uh, Mayan abdominal therapy and that sort of can, we can talk a little bit about that. Maybe that could be a structural stress, um, get your, your take on that. And then also environmental toxins, all the personal care, cleaning chemicals, those sorts of things. And then another stress could be, you could have a, a food intolerance and, and well, we're going to dig into diet a little bit too. So Mm-hmm. Um, all of those. I mean, sometimes we just think it's, oh, it's just mindset and I'm super stressed, but there's other things affecting your, your, your body. Right. Yeah. And I'm definitely looking at, um, I think the mindset is important when you're going through this, but there's uh, a lot of people are surprised at how challenging it is to go to step into a, you know, an IVF clinic or to start rounds of IUI and they don't expect it to be as stressful as it is sometimes. So preparing yourself for this and also um, I always look at it like taking it day by day. You know, so if we look at it like it's a sprint, it's like you can't sprint through this. It's a marathon, you know, um, taking care of yourself and in tracking your progress every day um, and having a friend to talk to or a health coach. It's, it's so important. So all those things can help lower your stress and it's cumulative. It, it really just, it's a snowball effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about progesterone creams. I think that's sort of might, might be a common go-to for people that are having irregular cycles. What's your take on that? All right. I and mean, we actually uh, recently uh, switched from the cream to um, sublingual drops. So we've been doing a kind of, uh, we, we basically we do plant-based treatments uh, in our clinic. Um, so this is, this is what we're talking about when we say bioidentical is from, is derived from plants. So we use a kind of a topical formula. We, we are concerned a little bit about the cream because when there's contact with others, we don't mm-hmm. want the progesterone rubbing off on them. And a lot of, so, so a lot of times what we do is we start with the Dutch test or we start with saliva hormone test and looking at the estrogen progesterone ratios and seeing if that particular person, if their estrogen is off the charts and the progesterone is really low, then, and we test this in the luteal phase, so that would be after ovulation. If you don't ovulate at all, then you can do this test at any time or if you have really regular cycles. Um, so that it's, it, it doesn't matter exactly. Well. And also if you're in menopause, it's great to check uh, as well or perimenopausal. So looking at that, the patterns, when we see someone's progesterone bottoming out or there's just not enough really there, um, these women actually benefit tremendously from having uh, plant-based progesterone. And and also we can um, also enhance or accentuate that effect by using Chinese herbs. And we do have different stages of Chinese herbs and different formulas we use for different stages of the cycle. So just just seeing that, sometimes it, we, we actually had uh, someone who um, is a model and so her and, and who has PCOS and her work is her skin, right? <laughs> so, you know, she had severe acne and just using the progesterone, I mean, you know, definitely we did the testing and everything. We saw that it was needed and she just using progesterone cleared up her, her acne just very quickly. And it's just and with a combination of Vitex and, and some acupuncture, you can see a, you know, a huge difference. But 
you know, definitely it's not right for everybody and you do need to do some testing first to see if that's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think some people do the the self-prescribing thing and where, you know, we, same as you, start start with the with the, the, the testing, so the, the, you know, the food sensitivity, the Dutch, and then we do the, the stool. So it's really to see, you know, test, don't guess, see where you are, and then go ahead and use and use the, uh, the, the protocol. Okay, and then you said you also added in Vitex. What's, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I just find it's just one of those very safe herbs that can be taken long term. And it's great for teenagers as well. We use it for teenagers that are starting to show some PCOS signs or maybe PMS. It's great for that. So I typically will recommend that someone use that throughout the cycle. And you know, it does take sometimes a little while to kick in. It's not immediate, but you can definitely see an effect over a couple, let's say like a month or two, mm-hmm. uh, you start to see changes with just, it, it basically helps with balancing estrogen progesterone ratios, especially in the luteal phase. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then we talked before about weight. So what are your suggestions with, with someone is dealing with uh, PCOS and an extra weight and they might've even just had like a huge, uh, there might've been a, all of a sudden a sudden weight gain out of nowhere where, you know, 50 pounds are gained. And it's, and so it can be very, there's a whole um, psychological piece to, to, you know, to that as well. But what's your, what's your recommendations for someone that's struggling with weight? You know, it's interesting because um, that's usually how people find us sometimes. They'll, they'll search for acupuncture for weight loss, even though they don't know they have PCOS. So, uh, so we look at um, what we do is a weight loss panel. And it's basically a blood and saliva combination panel. So it's actually going to test for insulin and also vitamin D levels and your uh, female hormones, as well as um, other issues that we might see with thyroid. So we might do a complete thyroid or just um, a little bit. uh, Hopefully we do the full thyroid. Um, And then we say, you know, we take a whole history of what's going on. What what started that change? Um, Was it gradual or was it all of a sudden? Um, And then how is the stress uh, from their work and also from their home life impacting them? How's their appetite? Some people come in and say, I have no appetite. I barely eat and I just keep gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've heard that a lot, you know, so um, what's going on? So, you know, we do have them track their foods too. And it's really, there's so many great things we use. Um, We have our own app where, you know, it actually sends us their uh, uh, food tracking and uh, water intake and all those things. And we also provide um, uh, daily menus for our patients as well. So that, you know, what we start with a lot of times is just for 30 days, a very clean food regimen. Um, We don't, it is a gluten-free plan and um, it's in low carb naturally. It's based on the Mediterranean diet. So we look at that. Um, and if they're with acupuncture as well, um, if there's no budge in the scale, then there is usually a deeper issue going on a lot of times. So we look at the cortisol as well, which is is very important because we have seen that while well, it's it's funny when we test cortisol when someone's getting acupuncture it's like not really a true picture because they're like oh it looks so great <laughs> well, <laughs> we should have checked this beforehand you know but um but yeah of course you know um you you can tell someone to exercise till you're blue in the face but if there's no energy there there's no right. reserve then it's basically just you know 
taking withdrawals from a negative checking account really is like the analogy. You just don't have any more to give. So we need to also sometimes supplement a little bit, say, you know, what's lacking. If someone, and so you look at the Chinese medicine pulse, if there's no root pulse to it, no energy there, then there's definitely a depletion. So if we continue to just drain and drain and drain and say, yeah, go out and sweat and do hot yoga and run and all. And I mean, it's just, it's going to be very counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. The exercise, if you feel drained the next day, then you've, you've probably overdone it, but then nor does it give you permission to, you know, sit on the couch with your feet up. It's, it is that something, but what feels right for you. And it goes back to sleep. You know, people who don't sleep actually weigh more. They're saying it's easier to gain weight. Um, and because it can throw off so many things. Um, so looking at, you know, just starting with walking, walking and uh, starting with that. If there is not, if there has never been an exercise plan, um, and looking at, you know, we actually work a lot with the ear. There's some auriculotherapy points uh, in Chinese medicine that are really good for cravings. And a lot of times when we get down to the cravings, it's an emotional sort of craving. So it's emotional eating. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, what are you craving? Salty, sweet, you know, all these different flavors. We ask in Chinese medicine because they all mean something. You know, if you're craving a lot of sweets, it can mean a spleen chi issue. So we look at, well, we need to balance with the spleen a little bit. Or, you know, if it's salty, there's some kidney deficiency in Chinese medicine, the meridian not functioning well in the, the system. So, so what can we do? We actually can use herbs to help balance that. And also, so auricular therapy ear seeds, which actually stay in for, you know, until the next visit. Sometimes we don't see our patients, but uh, once a week. So, you know, that in, in addition to looking at, you know, their diet as well, obviously, but giving them recommendations based on their Chinese medicine type as well. So if you have someone who has, we say, spleen sheet deficiency, we need to actually nourish them too, not recommend a lot of cold, raw foods. And that really runs counterproductive, I think, to a lot of people coming in doing smoothies right off the bat when they wake up. Uh, a lot of raw foods in Chinese medicine, we say it's going to be damaging to our digestive system. So we recommend sometimes warm foods and oatmeal and some things like that that are a little bit with cinnamon that can be warming. But this is all based on tongue pulse and also what we're, we're getting from the intake as well. Um, so everybody's unique, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The warming foods for the, the uterus. And mm-hmm. yeah, so... And as far as, what was I going to say? Oh, for so someone that's struggling with weight and then they're no longer ovulating and then being able, then, you know, losing five to 10% can then help with ovulation. What have, what have you seen there? Right. I mean, it, when we also look at, again, it goes back to estrogen dominance, that fat is producing more estrogen. So it's complicating the picture, especially when you have unopposed estrogen. There's no ovulation happening, so no progesterone. Progesterone is produced after ovulation or during and after ovulation by the corpus luteum. So if we look at that, there's no corpus luteum. That means there's no ovulation going on. That estrogen is going to continue to just dominate throughout the whole cycle. And then adding more to it would be your excess body weight, the adipose tissue. It's a gland. It actually produces hormones. So when we 
start to burn that adipose and burn that fat. You actually can release toxins during that time. So you have to be careful that we try to do the weight loss program way before we're trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because we do, the last thing we want to do is be dumping a ton of toxins, you know. It, so while you're while you're pregnant, or also losing weight while you're breastfeeding and all of that, uh, can also do that. It's a whole other story. But but looking at you know, can we at least get to the point where yes, you're ovulating, but also your body is healthier and your energy is better, and you're not going into a pregnancy already depleted. Mm-hmm. So really using testing as the foundation, figuring out exactly where you are as far as your hormone levels, and then digging into these, these lifestyle pieces, like you say, sleep is, is so important, seven to nine hours. And then you talked about the, the, the diet. So you recommend a gluten-free Mediterranean diet. Yeah, what have you seen with that, I guess, as far as helping people with PCOS? Well, Definitely. There's a lot of research on the Mediterranean diet for fertility and pregnancy in general. It's one of the best diets during pregnancy. And so when we look at, you know, starting with someone who is coming in for hormonal balance, a lot of times they are trying to conceive and sometimes they're not. But regardless of that, um, it's, you know, definitely this person needs low carb. Um, We don't want to take all the carbs away. You do need some carbs. Um, And sometimes we see with a lot of fad diets, they're not lasting very long on it. So we want something that can easily be sustainable, that's delicious, that doesn't have to be torture to do it. And you can also share it with your partner because a lot of times we'll find that one person in the family is doing this diet and the other person's eating this, (laughs) you know, and it's like the kids are eating other things. So um, we try to say, what can we do that's actually going to be, you're not going to feel isolated isolated when you're doing it. And it's actually meant to be used forever for long term, you know. So my husband's from Spain and we're, I mean, we go there in summer and eat the Mediterranean foods, which are amazing. And for breakfast, we have fresh tomato and the tomatoes are like a dessert, you know. So looking at, you know, what can we do to actually create something that's that's actually fun to do? You're going to create a lot of color on your plate with the Mediterranean diet. It's mostly veggies and a little bit of fish or chicken, but no red meat, you know. So that that's part of what, what we actually um, give. I, I'm sure that there are, there's red meat in the Mediterranean diet, but our, our diet does not include red meat. And that's partially because, too, you know, we're looking at women who have endometriosis and PCOS coinciding. We see that quite a bit. Yeah. We don't recommend red meat for endometriosis. So, um, or for, I don't know, I haven't had red meat in 20 years. So I can't say I've ever, I don't even remember what it tastes like, but it's not really like uh, something that, that we recommend to our patients. And also there's, I don't think we talked about this, but with PCOS, we see a lot of women with high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And this is the beginnings of heart disease, which is one of the risk factors for PCOS. So when we take away the red meat, the cholesterol automatically drops. Yeah, it's so it's um, just like these these small changes with with diet. So you're kind of recommending a more yeah the Mediterranean gluten free can be more can be difficult for people, but we recommend going dairy and gluten free for sixty days at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, yeah, what's your take on dairy and PCOS? I mean, typically with PCOS, you do see a lot of congestion. And we look at the tongue also. Um, There's usually a thick coating there. And we find that once someone stops dairy, their acne can actually get better. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the side effects. So in Chinese medicine, we don't recommend dairy. In fact, when I studied in China, I didn't actually see any dairy (laughs) the whole time I was there. Like there's... There was almond milk, soy milk, you know, this, but yep. there is no dairy or sugar, you know, and, and we look at that 
there was there was not an obesity issue when I was there um, many years ago. Now we've we've westernized a lot of that, yes. and it's changing. Yeah, I mean, like Popeyes was opening when I was in Beijing, uh, so there's a line around the corner, and it's like oh boy. But you're seeing that you know when you do minimize the sugar and dairy, the weight loss happens pretty easily easier, definitely. And a lot of sinus congestion clears up, you know, phlegm type conditions. And, you know, a lot of people will forget that, oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't drink milk, but then there's cheese, you know, and then there's, yeah, the cheese gets everybody. So, so there's good substitutions that we recommend and that sort of thing. So. Awesome. Yeah. Cheese consumption has tripled over the last uh, 30 years. So it's kind of like, yeah, when you order a salad, you say, hold the cheese, please, which mm. seems kind right. of tricky. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And so as far as some, some mindset tips, things that you help your clients with to deal with like the emotional side of these things, especially for someone that's with PCOS and trying to get pregnant, what are, what are your kind of go-tos? Well, it's, it's like over the years, I really, um, I think that when someone finds their purpose, that is one of the best drivers of everything. I mean, this is this is our purpose in life or, or what our soul is calling us to do. And that's something that you see over and over with a lot of times somebody will be struggling with something or why am I in this job or why am I doing this and that? And they'll all of a sudden just make a decision. They're like, okay, I'm done with this or I'm moving on to a different part of my life or this relationship out of this particular thing. And, and it happens quite often during treatment, you know, because when we're working Working with acupuncture, working with a lot of meridians that are very powerful that can affect the brain as well in a good way. So, you know, things start to shift and in a good way emotionally a lot of times towards a healthier state. And we've had patients who actually completely changed their whole job and everything. And they, they went to something that really inspired them, whether it be you know, a life coach or doing a different line of work completely or deciding that I'm done. You know, I'm, I just wanted, I, I'm, I'm tired of trying and I'm, I'm happy with that. And I'm okay with that decision and really finding a deeper purpose in their life that I find has been, and, and I'll, you know, you do see some people that that happens and there you go, you know, they're, they're pregnant the next month. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you seen. So it's, it's almost like a, a self happiness and contentment. That's so important. That's actually what we strive for <laughs> more than a baby, you know? Yeah, exactly. Cause people come to me too, the goal of the baby, it's like, hold on, let's, let's look at you first. And then, you know, as you're going through that, and especially if we're finding gut infections and things like that and working on mindset, it's almost, then you start to shed these old emotions that just, they could be like stuck in there from childhood, whatever, you didn't even know they were there. And then you're like, oh, and then you're able to kind of work through it. And then, yeah, as you say, kind of find your purpose. And and I guess it's more of a, there's a lightness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the best things, like the most rewarding things for us to see. And when that, and that happens, it's almost like everything lightens up the face, the expression, mm-hmm. you know, just the energy in the room. It's a big shift. And, um, and I think that the it's just also just looking at, you know, if it happens, I'm happy. And if it doesn't happen, I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. That, that peacefulness that comes from that decision. Yeah, and it's almost the getting rid of the, the what or, how, or maybe the how it's going to happen and just know someday, somehow I will be a mother. And because we like to play in and sort of control things. And we don't know how this journey is going to take us and what's going to happen. I certainly never thought I was going to have my kids with, with, uh, with donor eggs. That wasn't right. part of my plan. <laughs> right. And, and that, that struggle energy. So when mm-hmm. the struggle energy is gone, it's like, okay, we know that things are going to start working better <laughs> in general. You know? so, and I think in, 
in your case, like it took, it's like your, your path was that, that's what it was meant to be. So, so looking at the deeper, the deeper thing, I think like PCOS was probably the best thing. And actually having a birth control pack of birth controls, like flung at me and, and like strike me in the head when I was a teenager, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That made me realize it was like this apple falling from a tree. Like, oh, wait a minute, there, there's more to this. There has to be other women in the same position mm-hmm. that I'm in right now. I can't be the only one in the world that's feeling like this. So, and when people are like, why am I, why me? Why do I have to struggle with PCOS? Why is everybody else so perfect? And I'm struggling and I'm, they're all getting pregnant and I'm not. And I think we have to ask like, what is the lesson we can learn from this, this, this syndrome out there? Um, and then what happens when someone does struggle to get pregnant for 10 years? Sometimes we've had patients go through eight IVF cycles before they, when they come to us and all they want to do is just have resolution. That's it. Enclosure. So when that happens, it's like everything else starts to kind of, there's just a calmness around, I think. So, so yeah, I guess that's, that's what we, we struggle just to kind of like, hopefully provide some sort of outlet for purpose and love and love in yourself. Yeah. And to know, that's why I did this podcast to know that you're not alone. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And let's just, um, before we wrap up here to talk a little bit about the Aravigo, I always pronounce that wrong, Aravigo Mayan abdominal therapy. So abdominal massage and how, how that helps with that PCOS. Right. It's actually one of the things that I find extremely helpful. And also we look at, okay, can we help with circulation to the ovaries? That would be one of the hallmarks of, of our Vigo Mind Abdominal Therapy is because we're actually looking at massaging not just the abdomen and also the, the stomach area, the epigastrum, but also the lower back, the hips, the coccyx, and looking to see if those hips are aligned in an optimal way as well to allow more space in the pelvis. Because, you know, when we look at congestion, we call it blood stasis in Chinese medicine, everything's kind of just like all jammed in there. And if you haven't had your period in a while, everything feels heavy sometimes. Even the ovaries are larger with PCOS. The uterus could be really full. So it's a very full condition. When you take some of that congestion away and you actually start having your period again, that's why people start feeling better when they get their period. Um, it's like, oh, this is, you know, feel feel so much lighter, all that stuff, uh, because it's just a sort of stasis that's going on. So with mind abdominal therapy, you're actually kind of helping to move some of that stuck energy, that stasis in the lower abdomen. And then also what we find is that we teach self-care to our patients. So they are having an active part in the treatment. They're participating and having an active role in their treatment. It's no longer just a passive treatment that we're doing where we just, oh, put needles in and then leave and then that's it. You know, so I combine the mind abdominal with active acupuncture. And I like to say that we've seen the biggest difference with libido and also with um, cycle pain. So uh, people who get cramps notice that their cycles are a lot smoother in a quicker time frame than just doing acupuncture alone. It's what I found. I also like to palpate and feel what's going on there. Like if you can put your hands on on the belly and just feel, is it cold? Is it hot? Is there pain there? Do you feel anything? Are there fibroids? Sometimes 
just touch alone is so important. We don't get that a lot of times um, from our practitioners or just from in general. <laughs> so, you know, just looking at um, finding out what patterns are there. And when you feel those things, you can actually target the treatment a little more in that area too. So, yeah. And so do you teach the, the self massage to your clients as well or? Right. Everybody leaves with a handout. Our front desk manager, she's very, she already has it ready for them and everything when they leave because we, you know, we do say, if you can just do this five minutes a day, you can use coconut oil or a little castor oil, whatever you like to do, just five minutes a day of self-care. And if you don't feel comfortable putting your hands on your belly, because some, some people are like, oh, I have these scars, I have this, uh, they don't want to do it. They actually, I ask the partner to help them. But it's really something that you take five minutes out of the day for you to do. And a little bit of self-care goes a long way. I've noticed the biggest changes in treatment and the biggest successes when someone actually is doing their self-care. And we say for the first 30 days, when you're not bleeding, do that self-care five minutes a day, every day. After the 30 days, you can do every, you know, couple days a week. Uh, but most people continue it because it feels good. <laughs> it helps their digestion. You know, it just, it feels nice. And, and do you, can you just, are you able to share with us what you uh, have them do in those five minutes? I don't know if I'm sure if you're able to describe it. Right. I mean, it's kind of part of the Arvigo treatment itself. There's actually, um, if you go to arvigotherapy.com, they actually have self-care classes you can take too. If you're interested in just in, in a more deeper way, it's like a weekend class, you can look at that. And, but, and the dynamics around it. But basically, you know, it's working with local areas of just kind of using just a self-massage technique around the lower abdomen, around your belly button, around your stomach, and just really focusing in on certain keystrokes that actually can help move all that congestion. And, um, and there's also, we, I'm certified in pregnancy uh, techniques as well. So, so we use mind abdominal therapy during pregnancy and it's really beneficial also to say when you, I know it's not about pregnancy, but, but I feel like so many women need to know this, that um, when you're getting close to delivery, there's actually a treatment that can really help your body start to actually work a little bit more with those contractions and help the labor process along. So very important. That's great. So they can check that out on arvigotherapy.com for the, or or just Google Mm -hmm. Arvigo therapy and you can look at that self-care massage. And then also there's a list in there, I think where they can find a practitioner in their local area. You are in, where in Florida are you guys? In South Florida, South mm-hmm. Florida, and Fort, okay. Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Oh, Fort Lauderdale. Oh, lucky you. Nice, mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So, can you think of anything as far as obviously we're, we're going to re- recommend your book there at the beginning? We talked about in the bio, but is there a book or a website or an app or anything or documentary? Anything you think the listeners would would uh, you you can recommend? There's so many books. There's so many great books is out there. I think I guess getting back to the self care part though, I think it starts with that what we talk about before. I've been reading A Return to Love lately by Marianne Williams, mm-hmm. Williamson. And I think that's something that is, it's really like you do need some inspiration every day to wake up and say, I'm really going to take the bull by the horns and do this. So this is just basically going back to how we can be kinder to ourselves. And I think that's, that's so important. So nothing really else happens outside of that. So that's something that, yeah, it's based on A Course in Miracles, yeah. if you ever read that book. So, um, so yeah, just really going back to loving ourselves and, and um, being in, in that moment of, of peacefulness with our, our decisions that we do every day. 
Awesome. Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe just share a, a success story. I'm sure you've had lots with, with us, with someone with PCOS and then getting pregnant. Sure. Yeah. Early on, and I actually talk about this in the book, but it, I wrote a, that book, it, actually, that we talked about is, is I wrote it for my patients. Um, I had many years of just, you know, patients coming in, bringing a ton of lab work and actually had someone bring a suitcase full of notes from her eight IVF cycles. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, let's just see if we can make, and actually I'm turning this book into an organizer or a planner. So mm-hmm. it'll be actually really fun and I want to make it really interactive, but this is a suggestion from my patients, actually, just all these questions that were asked throughout the years are in that book and why, the how and the why and the research behind what, what we do and with acupuncture and also uh, a little bit about mind abdominal therapy. So in the PCOS chapter, we talk about uh, one of my first patients who came in who was told to take Clomid. She had PCOS and uh, she didn't want to go that route. And she also had pretty bad acne too. She was on Accutane and, you know, she was told to get off of that if she wanted to get pregnant. So, so what we did, she was also an attorney. She had a really highly stressful job. So, so we said, let's see, what, let's backtrack. Let's just try to do your charting, your base wide temperature charting, just to see what's going on with your cycle. And, you know, as you know, like that was back in the day, there wasn't, there was no, there were no apps, you know, it was just mm-hmm. basically like, we still use the paper version of just plotting your temperature on a piece of paper when you wake up. So hers were so long. Her cycles were about 50 to 60 days mm-hmm. that you know, it took two pieces of paper. So the first time we were going, okay, what's going on? We used Chinese herbs, acupuncture. And then uh, she said, oh, this is supposed to be helping and nothing's working. And, you know, I had just opened a new clinic and I had, you know, it was like in the waiting room and, and she was like, I don't understand why this isn't working. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> let's see what's going on. And so I take her back and I'm like, well, let me see your chart. She said, it's supposed to shift and it's just still stuck here. And what I saw was that it had dipped It had been high for 18 days in the luteal phase. And I was like, hmm. So she was going on about, let's say, getting into that two-page scenario with the the charts. And I said, let's just take a pregnancy test. And sure enough, it was positive. So, so, you know, she said, oh, okay, I'm not mad at you anymore. (laughs) But, um, but she ended up actually having three children. Oh, well. Naturally, yes. Yeah. So, and she did use the, the progesterone cream actually at then. So, we we're talking about that. But I think that the charting, had she not been charting, it would have just been a long cycle. I mean, some, some patients with PCOS, we see them coming in and they're already three months pregnant and not knowing because their cycles are only one or two cycles a year, perhaps, or three. So, it's really easy to, to, to do that, like to, to say, yeah, I'm just having one of those cycles. And with the charting, um, and maybe you do this also with your clients, like you don't have to do it forever, but just a couple of months of, of basal body temperature charting, I think is it's pretty helpful, especially with PCOS. Yeah, definitely. And someone, uh, one of my friends, actually, she, she has t- she had two children and uh, she has PCOS and found out she was pregnant at when, when she was um, four months gone because she just didn't know. She's like, my period only came a couple times a year and then whoops. So yeah, a bit, yeah. Of, a, a bit of a shock, but a nice shock. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, we've also had patients that have, you know, one ovary on one side and one fallopian tube on the other, and that tube just reaches across and 
pulls that little egg every month. And with even this was with a patient with PCOS. So polycystic ovary on one side and uh, one fallopian tube on the other. The other ovary was gone and the other fallopian tube was gone. Wow. And she ended up getting pregnant naturally. <laughs> so you can never say never because, and actually she had blood clotting disorder. She had a rod in her spine. She, there's so many things. She had recurrent miscarriages. So not only was she getting pregnant, she was getting pregnant repeatedly from the little ovary that could. And we found out, you know, after the blood thinning, taking blood thinners and doing acupuncture and all that, that she was able to carry to term. But, but, you know, after that happened, I thought, you know, there's that really, it's really very difficult situation to say to someone, you'll never get pregnant mm -hmm. because how do you know? Really? Only God knows. I mean, you can't just say that, you know, a hundred percent that those ovaries are not going to work or that every single egg is bad. You, nobody can yeah. say that. Right? Someone, yeah, so many women are told that, that, you know, your chances are either extremely low or you don't have a chance at all, and they don't know. And, but right. the problem is that gets stuck in, in people's... It imprinted, yes. Yeah, completely. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. then it's to be able to reframe and, and, re, and rewire and know that with functional medicine and natural solutions and Chinese medicine, there's, there's all sorts of things that you can do. Anything is possible. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. So now you've got a uh, free 15-minute hormone cons uh, consult that you're offering here to the, the listeners. And they can go to floridacompletewellness.com forward slash contact. And I'll have that uh, link in the show notes. Do you want to let them know what they can expect during the consult? Great. Thanks so much. Uh, we basically get calls from all over, just of women who are really suffering and wanting to know what a good approach would be. So just to kind of get an overview, it, it is a 15 minutes consultation. So it's not very, it's not, you know, an hour or two, but it's basically just to kind of get an idea of what might be helpful in that scenario. And, you know, it's sometimes, a lot of times we can work in a distance type way with, with clients and patients. And if we can't, then we can definitely recommend somebody that's, that's close by. Awesome. So definitely check that out at floridacompletewellness.com forward slash contact. And thanks so much for joining us, Farah. It's been uh, really informative. I love uh, talking about this stuff, obviously. So uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Sarah, so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. Great. Have a fabulous day. You too. Thank you. And that's the end of this episode of the PCOS Revolution podcast. If you've enjoyed the show and want to help me spread the word about how women with PCOS and hormonal imbalances can lead happier, more healthier lives, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to have a question answered on the show or would like to recommend a guest, please go to floridacompletewellness.com slash podcast. If you're on social media, you can follow me at facebook.com slash Florida Complete Wellness and twitter.com slash Florida Complete, where I post a lot of interesting research, webinars, and articles on our blog about really getting to the root of hormonal imbalances like PCOS. So it's a great way to stay in touch with the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon. Mm -hmm.